And don't look now, it's a Monday, and I think USC could win a championship now. We've all switched. What a Saturday night it is. We break it down. Adam, Maya, Blair, and Gubo, and a road trip with Chris Swanson. We've got the details right now. Oh, boy. The big brain behind Yahoo Sports. Check out the big brain on bread. Rivals.com. Why are you laughing over there? Welcome to the Trojansports.com podcast. That kicks off. Thank you for the landing. Right, right now. now. Right now. Kessler throws to the end zone, and it's caught. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Juju Smith-Schuster with three seconds to go in the half. It is your Monday, September 28, 2015. Welcome into the Trojansports.com podcast. I am Chris Morales. Adam J. Maya, the beat reporter for Trojansports.com. Adam, how you feeling yeah. today? You feeling good? Feeling a little I'm bit, thankful little, to be alive. A little bit better than last Monday, maybe? No. Oh, no, okay. not, no way. Well, we'll find out why exactly. Crispy Swanson apparently had a long road trip, and we're going to get the details of that in just moments. So he is off today. The one and only Blair Angulo at B Angulo on Twitter is here. Blair, I know you so well, but it's always fun to talk to you on a Monday. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Chris? I know you spent uh, some, some hours out on the river. I did spend some hours in Lake Havasu for the weekend, but I still did catch a little. And, and it was nice because, you know, that is the state of Arizona. So I got to watch the ASU-USC game with fellow ASU fans that were as stunned as you could be. I mean, they thought you would think that the second coming was happening right in many of those bars on the river. But that's okay. Well, they didn't listen to the podcast last week. They obviously didn't. Me, I mean, me and Adam were on this yeah, perfectly. Well, you guys know how to call the action, but Blair, I told you on Friday that I would try for 20 Budweiser's. I hit my magic number on Saturday, just so you wow. know. Wow. There we go. That's why I sound like, that's why I still sound a little, little tired, but we, before we talk about any more of my road antics, Adam J. Maya was on a road trip with Chris P. Swanson. You know what, Adam? I don't know if I would ever want to uh, wish that on anybody, to have to be stuck on the road with Swanson. I was trying to figure out how to explain it. And I think I came up with it. It would be like going on a walk with somebody who refused to step on a crack. <laughs> Chris Swanson has a vintage sports car. Beautiful car. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who he stole it from. And I should not have left Southern California with him in it. He is so paranoid. Uh, anyway. Well, that's quite it, a road trip to Tempe in a vintage, uh, a vintage right. sports car. Was it like in the hangover when they leave in that, in that you know, kind of old, Merce- was it a Mercedes? Yes. I, I wish. I think the guys in the hangover had it better than we did. But I'm, I'm home. I, just so many things happened that uh, I think we had a tougher outing than USC in Arizona. Well, there you go. Look at that. Now, come on. I'm gonna leave there's got to be something more juicy than just that. I don't know. I feel like it's personal. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fine. Chrissy Swanson and the road trip. Maybe we'll get more details later or maybe what next week when Swanee's well, back. But he, He's in court today, so let's just leave it at that. Because of the road trip? <laughs> Moving uh, on. Dot, dot, dot. Details to come. Okay, Saturday's game, obviously. And Blair Angulo sort of said this to me. He said, stop picking ASU so hard that they're going to blow out you know, the Trojans, because come Monday, you're going to look really bad when everybody feels like Sark's back and SC's headed to the championship. You never know. But what stands out from the game, boys? Take it away. Well, the first thing, they love their coach. I mean, they love him. And I know maybe a lot of you out there that are listening might not feel that way. Maybe you do. I don't know. But they, the players, they love Steve Sarkisian. And it's apparent that anytime they lose, they realize that not only are they in trouble with whatever their their goal is at the time, but they realize that their coach is, you know, one loss away from being on the hot seat. He can't really afford to lose back-to-back games, not when they are paid to win the conference. And they respond to that. You know, it's like if they lose, they could lose their coach. And they take that out to the field and they play for him. And I, I guess that means a lot. Now, of course, the real issue is, can they do that after a win? And that was their problem last year. And I feel like this Washington game can be a total trap game because you got Notre Dame next. 
and you're playing Washington at home, who have been kind of average all year. But Washington, you know, that, they lost their coach. They lost Sarkeesian. So there's going to be a lot of emotion coming from that side of the ball. USC has to match it. But that's the first thing that stood out is how much they love him. They heard all that criticism all week. They acknowledge it. And they, they know that there's a lot of hate out there. Um, and one of the assistant coaches was walking off the field. He actually fired off a few F-bombs to the crowd in response to all the heat that they were taking. So they, they know exactly how people think about them and what they're saying about them. I think there's just some intimacy now with this team because when you get a new coach that takes over a roster that he did not recruit, uh, it's a little different. Now he's got two recruiting classes there with him. There are some guys that he knew personally on the recruiting trail that he personally recruited that he basically convinced to go to school there. And it's, you know, he was a big reason why they went there. He's, he's known as perhaps the best recruiter in the Pac 12. Um, and, and now that he has his own guys there, they're, they're going to fight for him. And, and I think that's maybe something that we didn't see much last year because some, you know, a lot of those guys weren't his guys. Now we do have, you know, two classes that are his and, and even the guys that were there last, uh, you know, before he got there last year, um, now have a full year and, and, a, and a half with him to kind of fight for him. So that's, I, 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 I definitely see what you're saying that they, they love their coach. And, and I think it goes back to the fact that he did recruit a lot of these guys now. Good point. Very good point by both of you. Well, look, obviously they bounced back. They made the win. They embarrassed Arizona State, uh, more so than I think any of us were expecting. Maybe we called a win, but, I mean, they just destroyed them. And so they definitely made their point. Um, you got – I mean, Adam, you were there. First off, I want to s- ask, did Sparky the mascot for ASU jump on you? Yeah. Did he? Yeah, that happened. Yes. Was it good? Um, can we talk after the show? Yeah. Uh, hopefully oh. you, you, you didn't, he didn't hurt you like he hurt that uh, councilman from Tempe or something a few weeks ago. Um, okay. But – did USC, were there a lot of USC fans that made the trip, in your opinion? How did it feel inside the stadium? It was very hard to gauge. We were in a press box that was closed off. Oh, okay. And Blair could tell you that when, when the windows are down, you can barely hear, like, what's going on. You feel like you're in this, what, what would you liken it to? Like an insulated, yeah, like, you're, like in, you're in an igloo. You're in kind of a delay, too. I mean, you don't really yeah. hear the noise until... Uh, about two or three or uh, two or three seconds after the play happened because yeah. they they do have it uh closed off where no sound gets into it but you kind of get the buzz of it and you kind of get the vibrations and, and and it shakes a little bit um it, it's a it's a weird feeling to watch a yeah. game in silence but also kind of get that delay so I, I completely understand what you're saying yeah that i mean you know the family was there i just after the game, I couldn't tell during the game. And the colors were almost identical. <laughs> they're, they're wearing the same thing. They're all wearing the same thing. Yeah, and I mean, one guy that diff- obviously made some noise was Dory Jackson. Yeah, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway from the game. And, and you called it. You called right, it twice. I, I don't want to be that guy, right? But I've been saying it all year. All year, going back to January, after that holiday bowl, you could tell that Adori had to be involved in a game plan every week. Like there was just no denying it. He's not electric, that amazing. And I felt like his the rigors of playing cornerback were not going to keep him from being able to play at a high level in offense. It's not even like what Miles Jack was doing a couple of years ago where he's playing linebacker and he's their best linebacker and he's leading the team in tackles on some games, and then you're going to give him 20 carries on offense, that's crazy, right? I I get that. And I remember that ASU game, UCLA ASU 2013, when UCLA was upset, they started Miles at running back. And I thought that was a huge mistake because you needed him at linebacker in that game. Okay, now with Adori, throw all that out the window. He can play cornerback, where he's rarely targeted and, you know, kind of run up and field or up and down the field and pace himself and still play offense. 
get the ball in his hands. And I really believe that he might be the best player in America when they use him that way. I agree. I agree. And, and I, I think, obviously, you know, people focus on him as a corner because that's his, you know, based on his body type and just kind of his skill set there. That's his best position at the next level. That's where you yep. project him to be as a professional. Um, but given, given, or just because he's he's such a great corner, you know, this five star guy that 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 you know has you know the potential to be a Deion Sanders type at the next level, doesn't mean you know you limit his his opportunities if it means you're going to win a game. I mean, if he's your yeah. best guy and he gives you that option, he's explosive. He can take it to the house. You say all these things about him. Well, let's see it. Let's see him and 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 use your assets because you know a couple of years from now when when you are maybe you know regretting it and you you're seeing him re- return punts at the at the next level and and you could have wondered what if, you know, if he can do it now and help you win games, you do it now. And 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 it's good that they they got him involved the way they did because now it creates so many different uh, possibilities for them. They can use him as a realistic decoy now. You know, it, it is yeah. on tape that he is a dangerous guy. Um, before, if you're kind of just passively putting him out there for six or seven plays a game, uh, you can't really use that as, you know, maybe a threat. So now, not only is he a threat, but he's also a threat to be a decoy, which opens up other things for Cody Kessler. And uh, it couldn't have come at a better time. You know, early in conference play, you have the whole schedule in front of you, and now you have a Dory Jackson with a little bit of a, a momentum on the offensive side. Well, a better time would have been Stanford. But well, obviously, but <laughs> given the circumstances, no yeah. better time than, than ASU. Yeah, and I, I feel like they have to push it even more. He only played still a handful of plays on offense, and he got the ball three times, and he was remarkable. He averaged 37 yards on five touches between his three catches and two punt returns. But I think you have to play him more on offense. I think that there will be other games where he might have three catches, but he might only have like 35 yards because they're keen in on him. And I think that you have to have him out there 15 to 20 plays. Sarkeesian said the biggest challenge is knowing how much and more. The answer is more. Whatever they're doing right now, it's still it's more. More, yeah. more, more. My my biggest takeaway was just the fact that they didn't run the ball like I thought they would. Um, I know ASU struggled in, in its first three games to defend the run. Uh, USC showed maybe a, a potential to be very, very dominant in the run game. Um, so I think that was the biggest surprise for me that, you know, the fact that ASU kind of controlled that side of the game and, and it didn't matter. And that's that was the surprising thing is I thought USC would need to run the ball effectively to win this game just because I thought that ASU could, you know, maybe turn it into a shootout offensively, but they but they didn't. So um, that was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I agree. It, it was a bit jarring to see Trey Madden get, I believe, like seven yards on nine carries. I might have those numbers inversed. It might have been seven for nine. But that's pretty inexcusable from the offensive line and the running game. There's no way someone like that should be that limited. And Justin Davis did not run that well either. Um, Ronald Jones second ran a little bit better, but they got issues there. Their run blocking was a problem last year, and it's been very up and down this year. They actually did okay with Stanford, especially early on, and they got away from it. They stopped running. In this game, they tried to, and within this game, it didn't matter. I'm glad you said that because we're trying to look at like what they need moving forward, but we're not going to make a you know a mounting out of what was a molehill a molehill in the game. Um, they're going to need a controlled clock at times, and right now they haven't been able to do that. They're a very big play explosive team, and the passing game can be dominant, which it was, but you you want to have balance. They're too talented. I believe they have the best running back stable in the conference. 
uh, UCLA has an argument there as well. But I don't know what to say. I feel like their run game is a problem because of the way that they're doing it. I'm not a you know, running game coordinator, so you know, it's hard for me to, to completely diagnose the problem. But they run these stretch runs that are long developing, and they have their, their running backs going sideways. These aren't those kind of guys. Trey Madden is a north-south guy. Justin Davis is a one-pet guy. Doesn't need to dance a lot in the backfield. And Ronald Jones, despite you know all his shiftiness, is looking to move forward. And he likes to get a little creative even between the tackles and at the second level. But he's not trying to reverse field. So I feel like they have the components for a power run game. They just choose not to employ it. They want to be a spread team, and therefore, I think it it forces them to run away from their advantages. And while the run game we all can question and look at on Saturday night, how about Cody Kessler? Threw for 375 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, this is kind of what we wanted to see of Cody Kessler, and I'll start with Blair Agulo. What's your impressions of Cody past Saturday night and for the future going to Washington and then going into Notre Dame? You know, it's uh, it was interesting because, you know, we talk about Cody Kessler not being able to step up in some of these big games, and, and you know, I, I, I guess ASU wasn't ranked at the time, and they're not ranked now, and and so we don't, we don't even know if we can even throw this game into that conversation uh, you know whether he stepped up and whether he was clutch, as uh, as Adamaya put it in his tenfold uh, before the game. Um, but I think he was clutch. He 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 was exactly what USC needed in this game. Um, he he took what the defense was giving him. I, I thought he did a better job of distributing the football. Um, there were a few times where he you know he aired it out to Juju. Uh, I saw one play where kind of evaded the rush and and you know. He had a couple options underneath, but he instead he decided to throw some 40, 45 yards downfield to a double cover juju uh, near the sideline and fell incomplete. So there, there's some instances where he still kind of went to that. Um, but for the most part, I thought he did a good job distributing the football. What did you think, Adam? Yeah, I found him to be wildly efficient, and I think that's a good thing. You Wild know, I'm man. Pretty, I'm pretty critical of quarterbacks in general, and because they're so integral to the offense and to an, an overall team. And I felt like Cody proved something where ASU took away the run, as we just talked about, and he played bigger. He showed that he can win the game. He carried the team. Turnovers were huge for USC, of course, but I felt like they remained aggressive. I felt like he remained aggressive. When they took that lead, they weren't content with a – 14 nothing lead. I feel like that's been their MO in the past where if they were up by two possessions, Cody got really neat and really fine and conservative and extra careful. And I thought that that interception on the opening drive was maybe the best thing that could have happened because you know he's annoyed. It's the first one he's thrown all year. There was a miscommunication with him and Stephen Mitchell. But then he continued to be aggressive. And that's just something that we had yet to see. He actually threw 14 incompletions in the game. You know how many he had coming into the game after three games? Something around like 14. Right. He had 19 incompletions. He was 70 of 89. That's ridiculous. Like, (laughs) no one should be 70 of 89. And it's a weird thing to be, like, critical of that. But he was so conservative throughout the first three games and this is a game where he's taking chances with Stephen Mitchell he's looking for Isaac Whitney he's fitting into a tight spot into Juju and I just felt like he was playing quarterback you know he he wasn't uh, some of these other games it's like a walkthrough almost and he's going through the motions and just trying to be careful. I keep saying the same words because it's really the best way to describe it, where with this game, I felt like he let go and let his receivers make plays. Um, he made a few plays where he, he evaded a couple of sacks. He ran the ball, just used his entire skill set and 
his personnel. And I loved it. I, I thought it was one of the very best games that he's ever played. Very good. Well, we know now Cody Kessler played a very good game after all of our analysis. How about the defense? We've talked about it a little bit. What did we learn? I start with you, Adam Jemiah. Well, they played well. <laughs> they gave up nearly 500 yards, and that's irrelevant. When you're up 35 nothing. the second half becomes a matter of stubbing people and playing a very generic defense. So throw all that out. Look at the turnovers, which they made a huge deal of, and they finally get it. And that's been an issue for them for more than this year, for a few years, where they, they haven't created turnovers. And they're essential. And the way you create them is by taking a few risks, by being aggressive, by disguising yourself. And they ran some different blitz packages. And so... Those are the things that stand out to me is that they were looking to make plays more than they were trying to prevent big plays. Yeah, and th- that's the way you needed to play that that game. Um, I think they needed to to be aggressive, and they and they did that. I, I also, I think the fact that they just jumped out to a big lead and, and, and kind of silenced that crowd is exactly what this defense needed after what happened to Stan- in the Stanford game. Um, you know, everyone had talked about how explosive this ASU offense was. We had seen it the last few years. You know, Coach Norvell there is considered perhaps one of the smartest offensive coordinators in, in the country and, and has always talked about, you know, when, when new head coaching positions open up. But the way they, they silenced them in that first half and, and like you mentioned with the turnovers, uh, it, it was big. And, and it's a big, maybe, it's a, it, I don't know if it's a building block, but it's definitely a, a, a good step that they took because Wilcox had, had taken so much heat. Uh, you mentioned the offensive line earlier and how, mu- how much of a concern that was um, and still is. But there could be a, an argument made there that the defense is perhaps even more of a question mark than the offensive line. Uh, so the fact that For they sure. did, yeah. So the fact that they did what they did to Arizona State on the road, um, it, it gives you reason to be optimistic if you're a USC fan. It better be a building block. They generated pressure, and that changes everything. And they, the coach, have made this point after the Stanford game that. They weren't winning their one-on-ones. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, they don't have a lot of players right now that are ready or able to win one-on-ones. That's the, the truth of the matter. You got Stuart Cravens and, you know, Adoree's winning one-on-ones at cornerback, but that's been a very mild impact. And after that, you got a bunch of freshmen that you're that are gonna be great, but you don't have a lot of guys in that front seven that are winning one on ones. So what do you do? You have to be creative. Yeah, I mean, and, and when you win those one on ones, you know what happened on Saturday happens. I mean, ASU was only five of thirteen on third downs. That was huge against mm-hmm. Stanford. It seemed like USC couldn't get off the field. Uh, against ASU, they did, you know, and it was a great rate. Five, you know, five of thirteen. That means only five conversions on third down. That you know, you take that every every week if you if you're USC. I felt like they were playing more as a committee than they had before. It just seemed like they were on the same page. Now tackling wasn't great. The safeties, I think, need to be better in that regard, especially. But all in all, it looked like oh man, I'm quoting Stark now. All in all. Quite honestly, <laughs> it looked like they were playing together, and that clearly wasn't the case with Stanford. It looked like they were confused and jumbled and and doing different things and running around like chickens. And so, with their heads we, cut off, or just straight chickens? Uh, yeah, sure, okay. But um, there was a different group at linebacker. We saw a lot of Messina, a lot of Cam Smith, who looked really good. Lamar, more Lamar. He's still coming back. Porter Gustin, of course, and Sua. And Scott Felix as well. I'd be remiss to not mention him. And so we saw a couple other people getting more reps, and I think that is the direction they're going to be going in. I think that you get later in the year, and 
maybe I get a little bit too nostalgic, but 2005, freshman linebackers, Brian Cushing, Ray Maluga. Later in the year, the, like Brian Cushing was starting, Ray was playing more and more. I think that's what we're going to get with Porter, with Messina. Cam's already a you know, full-time player. And with freshmen, it's a big deal, right? The more that they play, they're going to play better. Biggie Marshall played a lot better this week than he did the week before. And so I think that defense will be better. I'd like to see a little bit more Kenny Bigelow. Very productive on that line in limited time. Yeah, we're you know, we're kind of finally seeing some of those glimpses that made him a five star uh, prospect out of high school, and you know, right now he might be the biggest bust on this roster. Uh, but if you get any whoa, sort of production, uh, who else? Who else would be the bigger bust? No, no, I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah, and you know, right now he might be. You know, this is a five star guy out of high school, uh, and we haven't really seen much out of him. You know, he's been injury prone, and and I know that's a big reason why. Um, but if we can see some production out of him, I think USC um, can can maybe you know start to correct some things there on the interior. Yeah. Before we get to the Adam Jeremiah bumper sticker award, Adam, can we play the game? Chris ask a question of Adam that's really irrelevant, but you get annoyed. But I I want to know the information. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the defense letting up going into the second half. Why? Why not put your foot on their throat? Why not beat them six? They already had. But why? But, no, why, but, why, uh, but given what's happened in the past, you don't in the play second a team, half. Yeah, you don't play a team like ASU. If you're up thirty-five nothing, you're not looking to beat them seventy to nothing. You don't approach it that way. You're incorporating more people that you need to develop, and you're running entirely different offense. Not like schematically, but just mindset-wise, because you have a lot more in a tank that you need for the next game. And, for yeah, the and you're, game and you're trying, you're trying to get out of there healthy too. You yeah. Know, your, your top guy. Yeah. Your top guys need to be out of there, uh, healthy and, and ready for the next game. Uh, you know, coming into a bye week as well, you need that extra rest. And that's something, you know, they still have a little bit of depth issues. You know, it's not as dra- drastic as it was last year, or the year before that, but you know, whenever you can get some rest and, and get out to a big lead and get out of there, uh, I think you, you know they did a great job there. So Adam, you're saying it's like when Blair and I play golf and I'm beating yeah. him, but I, I could I could just beat him by a stroke. I don't have to beat him by ten under and just really embarrass him. That's what you're no, saying. As long as no, you no, beat no. me, as long as if you beat me, I think you're fine. Okay. All right, that's fine. Wait, wait. no, it'd be more like if you were if you were up seven through nine, mm-hmm. you're really looking to to play with him from there on. Yeah, well, we only play nine, so... Yeah, usually we only play nine. And I don't go seven, <laughs> but I do beat them, usually by a stroke or two. Okay, time for the moment we've all waited for, and we've still got recruiting stuff and a lot of questions from the message board at Trojansports.com. It is time for the Adam J. Maya Bumper Sticker Award. We cue the horn on this winning Monday, and we go with it. Adam, what do you got for us? All right, I'm going to take you back to the 1990s, early 2000s, to that Moneyball era and give the award to Barry Zito, former Trojan. And the reason why I'm giving him this award, Barry Zito, as you probably know, started on Saturday. Actually, I don't even know if anybody's paying attention, but he's back in the majors pitching for the Oakland A's where he came up after pitching at USC. And he had a little bit of a reunion with Tim Hudson, now with the Giants. And, of course, they were two parts of the big three with Mark Mulder there in Oakland. But what I really appreciate about Barry Zito, a lot of people don't like him, or at least Giants fans, because he really flopped in San Francisco. He signed what at the time was, I believe, the largest contract for a pitcher ever uh, from Oakland to San Francisco back in 2007. And it had a rough go with the Giants for, you know, the, the duration of that contract. He wasn't even on the playoff roster when the Giants won the World Series in 2010. He did help him win 2012. He actually came up huge in the, the playoffs there. But then he was out of baseball by 2014 when the Giants won again. But Blair, did you know that the Giants won three World Series in five years? Yeah, I knew that. I watched okay. them all. 
You mentioned cool, Moneyball. Cool. Now I just want to go watch the movie. But let's continue. Let's go. Okay. And I'm getting sidetracked here. Yes. Because um, the Giants are not winning in 2015. In fact, I think the Dodgers will clinch tonight. But uh, anyway, so Barry Zito. What I love about him, you're talking about a guy who's in the majors for a decade and a half. And 2013, pitches himself out of the majors. 2014, takes a sabbatical. 2015, signs a minor league contract with the A's and has been in the minors the entire year. And I really don't know many people that would do that. With that much money. With that much money, with, with having been that accomplished, and go pitch for the minor league organization of the franchise that you came up with and that you were a Cy Young winner with, and you know you're beloved, yeah. and you're anyway. And where, where's the, the AAA affiliate for Oakland? I forget. It might be. Is it Sacramento? I think it's Sacramento. It was Sacramento for many years, Blair. And my AAA baseball knowledge tells me it switched to Nashville this year. That's some great knowledge. That's good knowledge. Right. So the, the dude's been in Nashville all year and worked his way up, committed, and got to start a game. He didn't do very well. It was a, a terrible outing in that regard between him and Tim Hudson. But obviously that was all irrelevant. The fact that he would have that kind of fortitude, I really, I really admire that. Yeah, Adam, if, if that doesn't embody the fight on spirit, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. And Bumper by the way, Barry Zito's done a lot for the troops. He has an organization called Strikeout for Troops. And in my old sports radio life at Fox Sports Radio, we used to do a lot of events with him in the Bay Area. He's a good, good man. He's given yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars to the troops. Oh, yeah, he did a lot more for the troops than he did for the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> Very well done. Uh, nice. Very well done. That I give you a standing ovation on that one. So Barry Zito are Adam J. Maya. Now, nobody could have predicted this. You might be betting on college football. You might be betting on USC for the season, but you couldn't bet that we would pull out a Barry Zito, Adam J. Maya bumper sticker award today. Could you? I know I, I wouldn't could. have bet on it. No. We've got recruiting next. Also, questions from the message board. It is Blair Gulo, Adam J. Maya, Chris Morales, the Trojansports.com podcast on a winning Monday, and we're back in moments. Hey, it's the QB Sean Salisbury, and you're listening to the Trojan Sports Podcast right here on the home for everything USC. Everything USC. Trojansports.com. You're listening to the Trojan Sports Podcast on Trojansports.com. Powered by Rivals. 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 Hey, you want to increase your brain power, be smarter, improve your memory and focus? Well, there is a new brain supplement called Mental Bright, made with ingredients that naturally enhance your mental abilities. Mental Bright is so confident in their formula that if you try it and it doesn't work, they'll write you a check for 10% more than you paid for it. That's a 110% money back guarantee. Mental Bright's ingredients are scientifically proven to work. Go to mentalbright.com to start improving your brain abilities today. To brighten your mind, go to mentalbright.com. Back on the Trojansports.com podcast, I'm Chris Morales. Boy, I Gulo here, and for Chris Swanson today, we've got Adam J. Maya. Now, boys, do you know why I'm coming back with this mid-90s hit, Lullaby by Sean Mullen? Yeah, I know why. Because in the, in the song, he says, L.A., it's kind of like Nashville with the tan. And we just talked about Nashville and Barry Zito. That's why. See how I tied that all together? Oh, it was obvious. That's good mid-90s Monday uh, knowledge for you musically. It's kind of like Nashville with a tan. And it is Monday. It is September 28th. We are coming off of a win against Arizona State. We all feel good. We got Blair and Gubo here. We're going to dive into some recruiting action. Blair, last Thursday when you and I got together for our little fun we do, you were about to head to Inglewood High School to see Mike in action. How was that Thursday night? Yeah, I just went up there to see if anyone was up to no good. Um, and it was... <laughs> It was Mike. It was Mike. Mike. Uh, Mike was Wait, up to no good. His full name? Mike Juarez. Yeah, people have actually approached me about the way you pronounce it. They love it. Pronounce what? His full name. Oh yeah. Well, me personally, or how you? I just people. No, you. You really? Mike yeah. Juarez. Okay. It got weird. 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 People know me. They know uh, me too. I got approached uh, outside the stadium 
before the game. In ASU? At ASU? Yeah. Wow. And the name is eluding me right now, and I apologize if you hear this. You're a very nice gentleman. Adam, you got to remember your fandom. you got to shake their hand and remember their name so we can Well, I love about this guy. He was head to toe in ASU apparel because his son goes there. But he's like, hey, I'm rooting for the Trojan. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah, so I was up I was up in Inglewood to see Mike Juarez and, and he uh he had six touchdowns. I mean, the kid is unbelievable. Uh he plays on both sides of the ball. He he played uh defense uh at linebacker and safety and rush end and on offense he's their quarterback. So, you know, he exerts so much energy on every play. He's running the ball, he's throwing the ball. He's keeping it and you know going in between the tackles and picking up those dirty yards and 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 then he goes to the defensive side and he's asked to pursue the ball from sideline to sideline and he plays inside linebacker and he's getting his hands dirty and you know the, the kid is incredible. Oklahoma was there uh, to see him. Inside linebackers coach uh, Tim Kish was there and, and you know to send a kid from Oklahoma or, or to send a coach from Oklahoma to see a kid in Inglewood, California. That pretty much tells you all you need to know about how other schools are approaching Mike Juarez and, and how other schools feel about their chances with Mike, who we consider a USC commit only because he say it, he's saying he is a USC commit. But right now, I mean, the kid is as open as as anyone in in the country. You know, he he's gonna take his official visits. He's already set his Oklahoma visit for that TCU weekend, November twentieth. That's the weekend right before USC plays UCLA, so he'll be on the road for that. And uh, interestingly enough, he might not even be in Los Angeles to to take in that game at the Coliseum uh, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day weekend. He he told me that he might head out to Ohio State or he might head out to Michigan. Uh, he doesn't know yet. So those are those are two other schools that that he's really considering. Nebraska is in there. Ole Miss, he said, is recruiting him pretty heavily. And and you know, by the way, Ole Miss is. Uh, atop the rankings right now in, in college football, so that's obviously an appealing factor. But uh, make no mistake about it, I think this is still a USC UCLA battle. I know in in the po- on the pod- on the podcast last week we mentioned that his mother is a big UCLA fan, and 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 I kind of got a, a feel for that as well this week again when I talked to him. Um, he wants to announce at the U.S. Army game, and and he is committed. But he, if he's announcing a choice, you, you have to think that there's no way he's committed right now and he's still kind of going through the process. Is He still needs to make a decision, and, and I think that's what the announcement is for. You know, He wants to announce that final commitment. Right. I had, I had the same takeaway, uh, a bit strange to say that you're going to have an announcement when you're already committed. That does not look good for USC. If and if he, National Signing Day was today, I think he flips, and I think he yep. signs with UCLA. Um, right. I think the Bruins have an edge right now. Um, I think he he loved his trip out there when they beat BYU. He told me he's probably going to be at the Rose Bowl this weekend when they take on ASU. Um, obviously, USC is on a bye, so you know he didn't really have a choice there. But, you know, I think UCLA has just done a great job recruiting him. Um, and, and USC, we've mentioned this in the past, uh, you know, kind of hurt itself by taking as many linebackers as they did. They already have a, a, an early signature from Dalen Hayes. Um, so it's not necessarily that USC did anything bad. It, I think it's just more that UCLA has has that room for opportunity for him. They, they have a, a chance... Uh, or, or kind of an open spot for him to go in there and play right away. Uh, I don't know if that would happen at USC. He, he's so talented and he's so physical and gifted and, and all that. But I think there's just more obstacles at USC, and I think UCLA has done a great job of, ma- of of kind of making him realize that. Yeah, I'm doubting he's coming to USC. Reading between the lines on Twitter, he's congratulating a number of colleges over the weekend for a big weekend. Not USC. Yeah, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Who had a pretty big weekend. State, yeah, Ole Miss, UCLA. Uh, later on in the day, he he's uh, he's he's tweeting "Go Sooners." Um, there was actually a tweet that he put out there, uh, which said "Favorite for for Boomer Sooners or RT for A Clap." Uh, right. And right now, Boomer Sumer, Boomer Sumer, if we're doing it in real time, 
has about a, a two to one edge on UCLA um, on the RT to to retweet game um, or favorite mm-hmm. to retweet. Uh, game so yeah he's definitely playing through the process he's going through all the motions and and he's you know he's he's excited about it and you know you really can't blame a kid for for wanting to go through the recruiting process uh especially a kid that you know goes to north torrance high school it's it's not a modern day it's not a servite it's not a saint john bosco it's not a long beach poly you know these these neighborhood schools when they do have a a really elite premier prospect they don't really get to go to the, to the process uh, the way Mike Juarez is able to go th- through it right now. Blair, I want to tell you something. I totally agree with what you're saying right now. And it's his decision, his life. And I think it's good for him to probably explore all his options. But then just decommit. Yeah. I mean, just at this point, decommit. You know what I mean? And I know he's a cool kid. And I've heard nothing but good things about him in that regard. But don't don't be committed. Just don't be committed. I, I just feel like right there there's a, a measure of, you know, integrity and respect for the for the university, that relationship. Because USC they're gonna keep recruiting him, but don't you know, don't fall under the umbrella of commitment when you're not committed. This recruitment reminds me a lot of, of Max Redfield's a few years ago. Uh, mm. Where he was a USC commit, he was a USC commit, he was a USC commit. Then he went out yeah. to Notre Dame for a visit, uh, and then you know was saying he was kind of USC commit still. And then he he changed his mind. Um, you know, you're you're not taking visits if you're a USC commit, and I think that's just the way it should be. Uh, obviously, that's not the way it is, and um, you know it changes, and and obviously coaches change their minds as well all the time. So. Uh, it, it kind of has to go both ways, uh, but like you mentioned, you know, if he is uncommitted at this point, then we're not making as big deal out of it. Um, but you know, he has to go through the process, and he's doing what what he thinks is best for him. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's good. You know, I, I, I agree with that. Like I said, I just think don't say that you're committed. Like end that. You, you're not committed to USC, and. Yeah. Uh, any, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's frustrating because we pursue the story and we have to keep up with him. And coming from a USC point of view, you know, I mean, you're you're covering the more the, the general recruitment, but when we're covering USC targets and especially USC commits, and we're catching flack for saying that he's not all in. When you know when he had commitment next to his name, it, it, it's just weird. It's like you're you're not committed. We asked him about Miles Jack, about Miles Jack probably I, I shouldn't say probably potentially coming back next year because he might not be able to get ready for the NFL draft in time. He might not be recovered in time to really go through that. And you would think that you know. If he's looking at Miles and Stuart Cravens as two people who he wants to fill in for, you mentioned the, the recruiting class that USC brought in and the depth there. Well, if Miles Jack comes back, that's another guy that's in front of him. And what does he say? He says, I'd love to play alongside Miles Jack next year. Yeah. So everything works out for him to go to UCLA. You know, he, he turns everything into a positive with UCLA. And that's cool. That's fine. He can go to UCLA and no ill will. But I'm trying to, I guess, even speak for the fans here, you know, where, like, just don't be committed then. Yeah. One, one, I guess, counterpoint to that is when a kid is committed, you're you're not as pursued as maybe you, you would be if you were uncommitted. So that's one way to maybe kind of limit the number of coaches that are coming after you, the number of calls you take, the number of text messages you receive, the number of letters that it gets sent to you. Uh, it's one way to, to kind of gauge, you know, who really is, is serious about you. Um, if, you know, if you are committed, uh, there won't be as many schools coming after you. So maybe he wants to kind of mellow, uh, in a mellow way, go through the recruiting process. Um, yeah. So that, that's that's one way to kind of look at it too. Yeah, so I that, that could I, be a possibility. I thought about that. Yeah, that yeah. could be a possibility. 
Yeah, I'm f- I'm familiar with it, I, but he's inviting it. <laughs> he's inviting other programs with you know on Twitter and beyond. And so, I don't think he's looking for a subdued recruitment. <laughs> he he wants to be front and center, which he has every right to be. It's a prerogative. Just don't say you're committed to USC. Well, there you go. A lot on Mike, of course, and Blair and Gula saw him live and in action. We've got some other recruiting headlines. Adam Jemiah. Yeah, 2017 receiver Amari Rogers, who is committed to USC and really is committed to USC. I think we've learned that if his father is there, which right now we have no indication that he wouldn't be, his father is receiver's coach T. Martin, of course. If his father is there, Amari Rogers will be at USC. The only other school that he would end up with would probably be Tennessee. But if Key Martin's in California, then Amari will be as well. Um, Terry Angeling, tight end, 2016. He's looking to visit twice, which is pretty crucial for out-of-state kids. Um, he comes from Pennsylvania. And so when they're looking to come on an official, they're trying to make a game. That's a, a guy that's really serious about coming to USC. And it's important for them to have that experience. Homesickness is a, a common occurrence for a lot of these kids that are traveling across the country. So good sign for USC there. And 2017 defensive back Thomas Graham from the Inland Empire uh, made it a point to say that he wasn't swayed by that loss to Stanford. And I bring that up because most kids are not. You know, I know there's a lot of a revolt from, you know, rever- reverberation, I should say, from a big loss, uh, you know, among the, the fans. But Blair, you can, you can right, attest to that, that these individual games don't really matter with their recruitment. No, not at all. And, and I actually talked to Connor Murphy, a four-star defensive end from Phoenix, uh, Arizona. He was at Sun Devil Stadium, and he told me just that, you know, that you know these individual on-field results don't really have a big impact or a big effect on, on recruitments. I think it's more about projecting where they're going to be in, in three or four years, you know. So a, a guy like Connor Murphy told me that he's going to look at, at kind of the depth and, and how he would be used in certain defenses and and whether or not there's promise there to, to do something special as a team. So, you know, you lose a game like ASU did to USC with so many recruits there. Uh, they, it was a big recruiting weekend for ASU. You know, they had Jack Jones there, uh, Lamar Jackson, Jordan Parker, all guys that, you know, we've mentioned USC with as well. Um, so those guys got to see firsthand, you know, what ASU's building, you know, their facilities and all that. Um, and I think losing the USC is just a small thing. And, and you know, conversely, whenever USC loses a game at home, um, you know, it, it's not a big deal. Now, I will say, you know, if USC, you know, follows this up with, you know, consecutive losses or, or you know, they, they end up losing four games uh, during the season, uh, you know, I think that in a whole does have more of a bigger effect because you kind of see, you know, oh, you know, maybe Coach Sark won't be there when I sign or, you know, this team might not be, uh, you know, on the rise as I thought they would be. So um, from I think from an individual game standpoint, not a huge deal. But when you start kind of building things into the grand scheme of things, that's when that's when it becomes more of a factor. Beautiful. Well, there's a little recruiting update for you right here at Trojansports.com. We- Time for questions from the message board. We cue our fun questions from the message board music, and we go to it direct at trojansports.com. Now, this first one here, this first post by 11 National Champions is his little headline or his name. Why do birds suddenly appear? And it appears he must be a fan of Blair and Guo and I's radio show because we often talk about Johnsonville Bratwurst, and it appears that's a picture of two Bratwurst and a nice Karen Carpenter reference. We leave it at that. Right, Adam J. Miles? Yeah, they long to be together. There you go. Like you and Blair. Absolutely right. Okay. Unlike me and Chris Swanson in a road trip. You guys just road trip, but you don't want to be close together. I understand. No, yeah, that's the last road trip. Marty SC Psych asks, although I was pleasantly surprised by our convincing victory over the Sun Devils and saw improvement in the defensive strategy, I'm interested in Adam and Chris's take. 
Chris ain't here, but we'll use Blair. On our rushing attack, which we've kind of covered, which was anemic at best Saturday night, with the talent at the running back position that we now possess, what can be done to increase the success of the O-line in coming games where we will need to have a balanced attack that should include running between the tackles? Adam, take it from me. Yeah, they need to run between the tackles. <laughs> there we go. I, I think it starts right there. As I mentioned, Trey Madden, first of all, is he's a power back, and he craves contact, and even Justin Davis and Ronald Jones are more than capable of running between the tackles, and they do so much pulling and so much movement in the backfield that I don't think they're playing to their strengths. They have really big guards. They have a big center. They have the biggest right tackle in the country. What are they doing? Where are your I, don't, thoughts? I, I don't know, Adam. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this should be a unit that by now should have meshed. Uh, this should be a unit that by now should, should know uh, its, its strength. And I think we're seeing too much uh, variance. Uh, I don't think yeah. we're seeing uh, them being as dominant as they can be. Um, I think they they've been affected a little bit by the the fact that they they moved around some guys, um, but you, they, you found your your five. You found the five guys that are going to be there, um, and, and they just haven't been. Maybe it is the fact that they've changed offensive line coaches, you know, so much in the last few years. You know, may, maybe you need some consistency there, and and that has been an uh, you know an effect. You know, at the same time, you play a Stanford, and that kind of gives you. Uh, you know, maybe some, uh, maybe a rough kind of way to doubt yourself. You know, maybe a, it, it, you know, a game like that kind of makes you create or, or change the way you were doing things. Um, you know, and maybe overreacting a little bit. So uh, they, like you, like like Marty mentioned in his post, they they need to start running between the tackles. That just needs to happen. Uh, this team won't have much success running the football if they're trying to go outside. I want to be on the record right here. They're not going to do this, but I, I'm saying this is what I think would be a solution. You move Max Turk to right tackle, and you start Viani and Damian at guard, and you put Toa in the middle. I think that's their best offensive line. They're not going to do it, but... You went on the record, though. He yeah, went on they, the, he went on the they, record they, by saying... They would run better. That would improve their run game. We need an on Adams on the record sound effect. We'll work on that. Braxton right. Family X4, can you guys choose which players you think are playing best at each position that sees slot of rotation? Not not who's starting, but who's most effective when on the field. Both safety spots, both inside linebacker spots, rush and D-line. Adam J. Maya, take it away. Okay. Uh, safety, I think it's still to be determined. Right now, it's been Hawkins and Platt who they've been fine, or they've been relatively fine in pass defense. I feel like against the run, while I like their attitude in terms of being physical, because they're both smaller, they haven't been great tackling. And, and they'll tell you that. So um, I, I don't know yet that they're the top two. Marvel Kell played pretty well in the last game and I think we're just going to see more and more of him Leon McQuay I, I can't even say because he doesn't play anymore so I'm not really sure uh, how he fits in at this point um, the inside linebacker spot that's an interesting question Cam Smith, Lamar Messina is looking better uh, I think Anthony Sorrow has still quite a bit to prove there so I like seeing more Messina, and um, I like seeing more Cam. And Lamar is important. I think if Lamar can remain healthy, then he can take that defense from whatever level it is to a level above that. Um, the rush end spot, you know, they've really kind of gotten away from Jabari Ruffin. And Scott Felix had a better game. I saw some people really react strongly to it, but he had one sack, he had one tackle, and he also had a fumble recovery. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, I think Port Augustine is the best option there, and I expect by the second half of the year, Porter to play the most at that position. But it's a spot that you can 
continue to rotate, I guess. Um, I wouldn't give up on Jabari. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but um, I, sometimes when a player's coming off a knee injury, it takes him a full year of playing before he really regains that explosion. And so we might be seeing him have kind of a, a limited 2015 before a, a breakout 2016. And defensive line, got to keep playing the young guys. I really like Noah Jefferson. We saw Jacob Daniel have a presence. Kenny Bigelow has been their biggest playmaker on the defensive line. And I still think between Claude Pelon and uh, Delvon Simmons and Antoine Woods, who didn't play, they, they still have a lot to prove. And so I think with that front seven, you have to keep rotating because um, not many people have established themselves as full-time guys. There we go. Marty SC Psych is back again. Did anyone at the press conference following the game say anything about Sark trying to incorporate the tight ends more into the offensive strategy as pass receivers, since that doesn't seem to be the case at this point in the season? And by, the, and by that, I mean the only time I see one of our tight ends like McNamara or Tyler Petit catch a ball, it involves a short pass thrown sideways instead of having Cody throw a seam route down the middle of the field. Thanks for the input. Your thoughts? Yeah, that, that's all Cody. He's just not going to do it. Uh, typically, like as Marty pointed out, when he throws one of the tight ends, it's almost like they're in the flat or they're toward the sideline, a uh, little drag route. Cody's not going to uh, attack the middle of the field uh, with him. He, he likes the crossing routes with the receivers, but it's just who he is. And I think uh, you'll only be frustrated if you are waiting for it to happen. Um 2016, Max Brown. It'll happen. Marty, one last question. We might, we might have to put a limit for Marty, but we appreciate it. Do any of you have any contacts you might have shared info with you regarding the injury status of Daylon Hayes now that he has signed financial papers? And it sure looks like he will definitely be a Trojan. Any insight, boys? Yeah, well, we heard that he had gotten injured a couple weeks back. And, you know, he's coming out of California that's a good sign. He's kind of been back and forth between California and Michigan um, for the last few years of his life. And so he has roots in California, which is really important for any target out of state. But I think more importantly, the fact that he signed is huge, uh, that he applied. We actually posed that question to Mike Juarez as well. I don't know if I pronounced that as well as Blair. But um, we asked Mike if... He had applied early because we, we hear that he wants to enroll early and he said he hasn't done that yet, but he intends to. Uh, he intends to, to do that with USC and UCLA. And so for Galen to apply early, to sign, I just, I, I see more and more that he's coming to USC. And I, I guess anything can happen, of course, with him being in Michigan, but you got to feel good about Galen Hayes. Much better than maybe a month or two ago. Well, Shooter McGavin 22, I will leave it at a simple question because he goes into a whole thing, but how would you guys defend our offense if you were an opposing defensive coordinator? Obviously, it's a high-powered offense. What are your thoughts about future games defending our offense? Well, that, that's tough. I, I've said it a few times of late as I've seen these playmakers emerge. I feel like if USC uses everybody on offense, and meaning like they actually involve Stephen Mitchell and Whitney and Darius and Juju and Adori and Ronald Jones and, of course, Trey Madden, Justin Gibbs. If they in- involve everybody, you can't defend them. No. And I felt like the, they've gotten in yeah, their own way. The only way to defend USC's offense is you better hope that you get out to a lead and then they're forced to be one-dimensional. Um, and that's what we saw with Stan, uh, you know, in the Stanford game. So you, you better hope that your offense is doing its job, and it turns USC into this predictable kind of machine. Um, yeah, I, I, that's the only way. I, I, if USC clicks on all cylinders the way they can, uh, they're very, very difficult to stop. Yeah, I, I think the other half of my answer would be: you make Cody Kessler beat you, and I'm not saying that he won't either, but. Because um, 
USC hasn't, he hasn't been put in that position very often uh, in a back and forth game where he's kind of taking it to another gear and, and beating a team. Um, I think we're still waiting to see that element. And uh, I felt like he, you know, ASU did force Cody to beat them, and he did. But it wasn't a tight game. And so um, I think you still look to do that. You know, you, you take away the run, and you force him to beat you. And, and I, like I said, I think he, he's very capable of doing it, but um, that's something that we have to see, right? A close game, and, and Cody brings them back when they're down by a score. Earn dog 21. I think SC is still trying, trying. God damn it. I think SC is still trying to find its O-line and defensive identity. Guys getting mixed in early. Is it really a matter of trying to keep guys fresh, or is it an attempt to keep guys engaged and happy? I think we kind of touched on this, but go ahead. No, I think it is a matter of fresh. Um, there's been an emphasis on playing hard every play, and you can't do that if you're playing every play. And so now that they do have some depth, I think it's sincere. I don't think that they're just trying to um, appeal to more players. I think that they are playing to win, and they feel like they're better off involving more people. I think the rotation will become a little bit smaller as we go through the conference play. We've already seen some of that, but we are still going to see a number of those freshmen involved if they're able to contribute right now, which they are. Follow-up from Dog that I actually want to toss to Boyer and Guo first. With the ton of reps from young guys that otherwise would have redshirted, do you see that as an investment for a long season and ultimately into future seasons? And does it really impact recruiting? Blair, your thoughts on the recruiting part. Yeah, I think it impacts it in a in a positive way. Actually, you know, you you get in there and, and you you're playing right away, so you're able to sell that uh, to recruits and say, hey, if you're good enough, you're going to play for us as a true freshman. And on you know, kind of building on that, if you go in there, uh, you're not competing against a redshirt freshman. You're competing against a sophomore. So that you know, not only do you do you kind of have a, another year to to kind of play later on. Say that guy graduates. Uh, your redshirt junior or your senior year, um, you're you're the guy. You know you're not you're no longer you know playing against a redshirt senior or or that guy that you know would have I guess kind of been in your own class if if you're good enough. So I think it impacts it in in a couple ways. Um, obviously, it does impact it with with some of the elite premier guys that want to be the starter right away. Um, but if you're at USC, I mean, and if you're being recruited by USC. You're the cream of the crop, so I don't think it has any effect with USC in particular. Yeah, and I, I want to uh, address the beginning of that question real quick here. Um, one of the marks of a great coach that probably isn't explored enough is developing talent. We talk a lot about recruiting. We talk a lot about um, utilizing the players that you already have, maybe the upperclassmen, putting them in the best position. But with the younger guys... It's making them better. They, they should be a lot better when they're in their second, third, fourth year than they were when they got there. And USC obviously gets a lot of four- and five-star talent, but that doesn't really mean anything if they don't grow. And so I think that we're seeing these uh, players being thrown out there because they need to improve. And USC needs them to be better in the future, they are the present and the future of the program. And so um, I think Stark has played it pretty well with the young guys so far. Very good. Final question. And this man, Trojan Fan 68, seems to have some, some final questions that I really want to get into. But first, he starts, What's up? Go ahead and do it, Adam. Go ahead. What do you want me to do? Do your What's, what's up. up? Do it. Come on. There we go. Adam J. Mai and Crispy Swans. A couple of questions. Number one, what are the differences in this last game compared to the season? Two, do you feel more comfortable with this team and at least they can compete in every game with player personnel and coaching? I'll leave it at that. Why don't you address those two first? Yeah, I pose that question to the players. I asked them what did they learn about themselves after that game. And the, the answer I kept getting was that they have heart. And so, you know, it's, it's not tangible, I guess. Right. It's hard to, to, to gauge or to measure. But... You saw in that Stanford game that they got pumped. And 
I felt like they had the firepower to to fight back. And just because Stanford is a more physical team doesn't mean that you should get bullied, but they did. So uh, in the CSU game, that was the difference. Um, do I feel more comfortable? <sighs> Ask me in a couple weeks because we've seen this before. They rebound. Mm-hmm. They, they usually punch back the next week, but they need a punch first. And they need to punch Washington first. They need to punch Notre Dame first and keep punching. Yeah, you know, I was grading the first quarter. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, here we go again with USC. You know, everything's right again. Everything's perfect. Uh, now we have to kind of watch out again for, for that lapse, for that, for that stumble, for that, you know, trip yep. up. Uh, this has been a theme with Steve Sarkeesian anywhere he's been. Um, so now we hang on. We strap on and we hang on and, and see what's going to happen because now we, we have to kind of expect the unexpected with this team. Yeah, and the question here was, can they compete with in every game? Sure. With the personnel? Yeah, they absolutely can. They're Will they? They're Will supposed they? to win every game. Yeah, I can't answer it. Will they? I don't know. Final thing the Trojan Fan 68 got into. Where did you go eat and possibly drink in Tempe, Arizona? How was the road trip? We talked about the road trip a little bit. It seemed like a complicated answer. But more importantly, I like this. What did you two listen to on your drive? What did you listen to? Yeah, did you guys bond? Yeah, yeah we connected. Um, more than I ever wanted to, but uh, we ate Rudy's barbecue, which I've actually had in in Texas, and I didn't really like it in Texas. And then I stumbled into one in Arizona, not realizing that I'd already been to a, another establishment, and it was excellent. So uh, go figure, it was better in Arizona. And uh, in terms of the road trip, we listened to a lot of Dre, okay, and a lot of Biggie. Ah, okay. Well, there yeah. we go. Now, it wasn't like that scene out of White Chicks where you guys were singing together for uh, a thousand miles? No, no. It was more like the opening scene in Office Space. Ah, yeah. With, with uh, Michael Bolton doing ah. the, I think he was rapping Scarface. Uh, very good. I actually can yeah. see that a little bit more than the white girl scene. Yes, I can see that. Well, very yeah. good. Well, Thank- yeah. Go ahead. I know. I had a, I had a really bad joke I'm not going to make. And uh, now you got to make it. No, I I want to keep my job. Okay, we'll edit all that out probably. Anyway, uh, thanks to everybody for the questions from the message board. A full week, of course, in season. It's always fun on the message board. Thank you to Blair Angulo, at Angulo on Twitter, for sending in for Swanee. Do we predict that Swanee will be back next week, or will we still be in court? (laughs) I got to tell you about the road trip off the air. Okay, well, we look forward to that. Blair, uh, by the way, congrats to your Bruins, who you didn't think were going to beat Arizona on Saturday night. So congratulations to you. Uh, thank you, I guess. Yeah, there you go. All right, Washington's up next. We will talk about it next Monday right here at the Trojansports.com podcast. That's Adam J. Maya at Adam J. Maya on Twitter. And, of course, all his musings and everything else. Or do we want to do quick predictions for Washington, or do we just want to all nah, predict nah. a blowout? Well, no, no. We'll we hope talk for a blowout. Yeah, we hope for a blowout. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. Trojansports.com, the best in USC coverage. We'll see you next week. Check you later. How did you know? I love this song. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces past, and I'm homebound. And I need you. And I miss you. And now I wonder if I could fall into the sky. Do you think time? Went past me by Cause you know I